So today we are into the whisperer number four. So the whispers of Satan number four, and we were talking uh, last week. We didn't get to finish. In fact, I had to leave off before I could give some really important proofs. But we were talking <clears throat> from the book of uh, St. John, and we mentioned from chapter 3 how that Jesus said in verse three, uh, verse 12, in verse 12 he said, I have told you earthly things, and you believe not. How shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And then he named in verse 13 and verse 14 two heavenly things that obviously were absolutely incredibly important for people to know. One of them was that no, no, man has, no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. That's quite a revelation. And number 15, um, you know, uh, 14 rather, um, that was 13 I read first, and then 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now, that was so wise that he said it that way. As Moses lifted up the, 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 you know, as Moses lifted up the serpent, so that it was understood that what Jesus was comparing himself to was the original or revelation, how that Moses did it, and uh, that uh, revelation has basically been lost uh, due to sin and corruption and and uh, improper translations, uh, but basically because. Uh, and I think maybe innocently, uh, but because of the of the um, uh, changes that were made uh, by you know a certain priesthood that got involved putting in uh, you know accent marks and and uh, various kinds of vowel marks, uh, uh, these people were called the Masoretic priest, and that happened in the sixth century, and so that changed the context of what it was saying in Numbers 21. But today, today, not tomorrow, today, I am going to show you from the Scripture the proof of the point that I am making. I didn't get to finish that up last week, <clears throat> unfortunately. But here we are today, and here we are going after it. We have to finish that before I go on to all the revelation. And there is so much. Okay, now we read to you from Revelations 9, um, uh, our big pardon, we read to you from Isaiah 6, chapter 6, verse 1 through 2. And we made the point, and it was a very important point, and you have really got to have that established in your mind. We made the point that um, the scripture is talking about seraphims. And it says um, in, in chapter 6, verse 1, Isaiah, In the year that King Uzziah, uh, Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. His train filled the temple. Okay. Now, um, <clears throat> being that uh, we're talking about the Lord of hosts, then we know that that there's both those that he is the Lord over that host, and then there would be those uh, uh, other kind of visiting uh, uh, 
people that that uh, were there or angels that were there. And off, in this case, it describes the seraphims. And above it, above all of the train, above all of this other part that was lifted up, um, were, were stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. There's a revelation there. Don't have time to go into it. And one cried unto the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. <clears throat> Here's the verification of that the Lord uh, being used in the first verse does refer to the Lord of hosts. And uh, <clears throat> the whole earth is full of his glory. So now we have uh, this revelation of, of the seraphims, and also it mentions it again in, in, in connection to their ministry. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having live cold in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he said, Lay it upon my mouth, and lo, uh, this has touched my lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, thy sins purge. Now, if we are looking at angels here that have been endowed with the power to purge sin, with the power to purify the human body. And uh, <clears throat> we are not looking at some snake in, in uh, you know, Christ's clothing or divine clothing. We are looking at divine angels whose words are the threefold, holy holy, 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 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold revelation. And they are totally one-to-one -one involved with the Lord of hosts, and they are uh, involved in, in ministry, and they are holy entities. And we will show that these are holy entities uh, as we get on with the this uh, interpretation. Now, for the benefit of those people that did miss last week, and that'd be very sad if you did, but and you will need to go back and, and hear it, but just briefly to mention uh, how that um, there is this, uh, this Hippocratic oath uh, that is taken, and the symbol of that is this sort of like a staff or a rod uh, called a caduceus, uh, there's other names also, and uh, it is, you know, represents this uh, Hippocratic oath that the doctors take, and it has a snake on it, you know. But that is an incorrect symbol. That is not the original symbol that was revealed to Moses uh, in Numbers uh, chapter 21, uh, when when the they were crossing the red uh, the wilderness by the Red Sea, and there were all of these snakes, and they were they were poisonous snakes that bit, and some people uh, died. Uh, and the Lord said, if you if you will make this emblem the way that I'm telling you to make it, then He said uh, you will not need to be afraid of the snake because our snakes, because if anyone gets bitten. All they have to do is come and stand before the priest who is holding uh, this uh, staff, uh, and when they see this staff, they are going to be healed. Now, it's very, very important to understand what that staff looked like and what it was, because it was, in the words of Jesus, I'll be lifted up, <clears throat> you know, as Moses lifted up the, 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 the serpent in the wilderness. So how that that was done is absolutely important. And uh, <clears throat> we read, um, you know, from uh, the third uh, chapter, I think it was, of Genesis, 
uh, and and so we just don't miss some of this stuff because it's so important to lay this foundation. And in the uh, third chapter of Genesis, uh, there was a prophecy by God, uh, the you know <coughs> the uh, Mimra, <coughs> the Mimra as it's called, speaking in the wilderness. That's that's for the uh, terminology of the word speaking, the word of God speaking uh, uh, there in the Garden of Eden as, and also he spoke in the wilderness. Um, uh, verse 15, uh, Genesis 3, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. So the whole pur- uh, important purpose uh, of the revelation here, and it's a prophecy, was that the, the offspring of of um, of Jesus, of, pardon me, of of uh, Eve, uh, would would bruise the head of Satan. Um, most scholars and most Bible churchmen uh, consider that that offspring is referring to Jesus Christ. And uh, that is not, uh, you know, any uh, incredible big revelation there. But it is an important revelation for to show that that prophecy came to pass. It came to pass when Jesus was put on the cross and all his followers. Uh, and it, it is very, very important to understand that. And it's important to understand how that in uh, Numbers 21, that that, that revelation was uh, given uh, very clearly to, to Moses. Moses really had the understanding. He really had the, the total uh, knowledge of, of that. And uh, in, in uh, chapter 21, it says, uh, And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and put it upon a pole. Now, when you look this up, fiery serpent, the number is 8314. That's 8314. That is the Hebrew Dictionary. Uh, you know that that uh, you can look it up in Strong's Concordance, and so it says that the fiery serpent and set it upon the pole. Now, <clears throat> this this serpent went up to the top, but it wasn't really a serpent. That's just how 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 the it turned out being called a serpent when. Um, uh, when the Mesoretic priests changed the vowels and, and some of the markings. Now, how do we know that this is is the same thing as the seraphims? Well, here's what you do. And if you will please take the time to do this, then you will know yourself beyond a, a question of a shadow of a doubt that what I am ministering unto you has solid word of God backing and is the underlying truth of the whole matter, because if you will then go and and the spelling on this seraph here is you know is S A R A P H, uh, but if you will go and look up seraphim, S E R A P H I M, which is the same uh, seraphim angels talked about in in the sixth chapter of Isaiah, and you will look that up in the uh, Strong's Concordance. And see what it says? Will you ever be graduated? Because what you will see is it will give the number 8314. Now when it gives the number 8314, that is the exact same number of the Hebrew dictionary that describes the seraphim, the angels, the holy, holy, holy entities to this fiery serpent 
upon the pole. Now, that is not the only thing that we could use to make, uh, you know, a really important uh, a point out of all of this. Because also, um, in, in um, uh, the concordance, uh, using the same 8314 and spilled, uh, not S-E-R, but, uh, you know, um, S-A-R-A-P-H, um, in the first chapter of of uh, Chronicles, chapter 4, verse 22, chapter 4, verse 22 of Chronicles, an Israelite is named Seraph. <clears throat> and it gives the same meaning under the 8314, and they're certainly not talking about him being a devil because he was an offspring of Judah, and and there is quite a revelation in the scripture there if you if you read all of it, because it refers to uh, very ancient times, and uh, he was an offspring of Judah, and he was uh, some of those that were sent uh, to have uh, dominance over Moab. And uh, so these were pe- men of God out doing the 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 uh, uh, holy ministry of God, and uh, and so uh, as in the case of doing that, uh, you know he had this name uh, Seraph, which is the eighty three fourteen, which then again also proves that it it refers to entities, human beings, seraphim, angels. Uh, it's just there is the proof. And and uh, and this is what we call uh, Akka language, because when we go into those words and into the lineage of those words and into the history of those words, um, we find their relationship and their root. And when we find their relationship and their root, uh, then it tells us a story. Many times it tells us prophecies. Many times it tells us locations and people, all kinds of things. So it, it here you've got two things. Number one, you've got the seraphim can be looked up, and it's the same 8314 Hebrew dictionary definition as it gives here on this, this serpent. And and uh, it's the same as the name of this Israelite, who was a very important Israelite uh, uh, and, and belonged to the family of Judah. Now, uh, I didn't get to cover that last time, but it is so important. But there's more than that. Now, our, our, our teaching, part four, the whisper of Satan. Okay, in, um, in the book of uh, Isaiah 23, uh, we read this first uh, beginning episode. Uh, you know, it goes, woe to uh, uh, Ariel, Ariel city where David dwelled. And then it gets on down, uh, you know, talking about verse 3, uh, and I will camp against thee around about and will lay siege against thee with a mount. And we, you'll have to go back to get all that information to the earlier uh, teachings. But then it says, um, uh, verse 4, Thou shalt be brought down and shalt speak out of the ground, and thy speech shall, uh, shall be low out of the dust, and thy voice shall be as one that hath a familiar spirit out of the ground, and thy speech shall whisper, whisper out of the dust. 
And then it goes on to show that this effect of whispering out of the dust and what it does, that it's like the dust, it's like when when the creation made animals and people out of dust. And because and all of a sudden, uh, it says, moreover, the multitude of thy strangers shall be like like small dust and the multitude of, of the terrible ones. And so here we see the use of this word whisper and and the power of it and the secret of it. Uh, but now here is the interesting thing. There are two snakes on that pole. One is is the concordance number 8314. And then the other uh, one is under uh, concordance number 5175 and, um, uh, you know, uh, 50... Uh, one, I see, 5175 and 5172. Okay, now this is important. This is important. When you look up the root of 5175, which is this other part of the serpent of brass and and the crooked serpent and the, and 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 the serpent that bites. Um, and you notice that that, that uh, in Ecclesiastes 10:19. That this serpent that bites, it has enchantment. And uh, and uh, when you read um, in Isaiah 27.1, it is a Leviathan and a piercing serpent. And so we know that it belongs to the dark children, the dark side, side of principalities. And um, in um, uh, Jeremiah 46.22, uh, it also refers uh, to Nahash. Now, in, in 5175, when we, we looked that up, uh, we find out that, that all of the 5175, which are basically almost all of the references in the Old Testament to the serpent, it, it's, it's, it's the reference to Numbers 21.9, Second Kings 18.4, uh, Job 26.13, Ecclesiastes 10.11, Isaiah 27.1, uh, and Isaiah 30, uh, 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 let's see, I, no, Jeremiah 46.22. And those all belong to the root, which is 51.72. That's where they come from. And from that root, now get a hold of this and hang and hold it, is the dictionary explanation, 5172, to whisper. So because it's from the root, that word whisper being a foundation notive, or notation, however you like to use that, means that all of these 5175s of all these scriptures they also have connected to it the root meaning, which is to whisper. So this whisper use that we put in Isaiah 29, that's in King James Version, that says whisper, isn't just some weird, strange, one-in-a-time uh, statement that belongs to just some kind of a familiar spirit-only thing. It is much deeper than that, and it has to do with this spirit of Satan going in, as it described it, uh, in, in uh, chapter uh, 14, I think it is, uh, of, um, 
of Isaiah when it said in verse 9, Hell from beneath is moved to meet thee at thy coming. It stirs up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It has raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. And people haven't totally have not understood what that means. Haven't understood that as Jesus went down and preached to those people sometimes disobedient, this tells us, I believe it's in Second Peter, uh, and he preached to them that the door was open. That therefore then allowed the other side, the Satan side, to go down to the dead and preach. And this is the Satan side going down, not in a the Satan of a body, but in, as it describes it in the sixth chapter of Ephesians, the powers and principalities and, and of darkness uh, represents um, the cosmocrator, world leader in a physical body. And this is when 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 one of the one of the co-owned angels, or maybe two of the co-owned angels, take on the physical body, and they go down because they they have the same mind, they have the same occupy the same space by being co-owned with Satan, <clears throat> and they have come out of Satan to be uh, an individual super entity, and they go and they become this cosmocrator, which means world, uh, universal world. Uh, uh, you know, uh, leader and, uh, or ruler, whichever way you want to put it. So now we are really seeing the incredible thing that we've got, we've got the proof here. This is forensic proof that within the context of all these words about Satan, there is confined the word whisper. So when we are preaching about the whisper of Satan, and we are making this revelation in in, Revela- uh, in chapter 29 of Isaiah and showing how that uh, conforms and ties in uh, in, a, in an alignment uh, to chapter 14 uh, when uh, this Lucifer a part of, of uh, Satan like Abaddon goes down into the chambers uh, of death and, and they all rise to meet uh, him at his coming that this is all tied together, and this is all part of the secret, <coughs> which is called the whisper of Satan. And there's just all these scriptures and all these proofs, like the proof that we show that the seraphim are the angels that were represented at the top, an angel standing at the top of, of, of this caduceus with his foot on top, the serpent, which is the nahash at the bottom. Now, in one of the scriptures, it mentions about the hash, uh, you know, in about uh, Ecclesiastes uh, 10, 11, uh, that they could bite with enchantment. They also used that word, and, uh, and they put the word uh, divine enchantment. Uh, but uh, here's how we're going to show you uh, how that you can get extra interpretation in a deep way out of the Bible. When the Bible says that Satan can appear as an angel of light, then you look at that and say, okay, then does that make him an angel of light? Well, you know what the working of Satan is. And Jesus said, you know, uh, rebuke Satan, get thee behind me, Satan. Uh, because his, he, Jesus explained his work is darkness. So, although he can appear as an angel of light, as it says in the sixth chapter of Ephesians, uh, he's a principality of darkness. So, 
even though he, he it says here he appears as an angel life a light uh, it actually is the opposite based on the contextual holy spirit understanding that satan is not doing the work of light the work of god the work of christ who came to be a light in the world he's doing the work of darkness so then we see that that is just a fraud a cover up uh, a deception so then uh, that makes us to know if we didn't even have it any place else that there was an angel of light. But we would know it isn't really Satan. We know Satan just appears that way, but he is really not an angel of light. Now, when it talks about in this scripture I just mentioned to you, the Nahash uh, appearing as a divine enchanter, but we know when we read everything about what the Nahash is doing, how that they are part of the Leviathan uh, uh, group, how that they are a piercing uh, serpent, and although they they use enchantments, we know this is enchantments of dark darkness. It's the dark principle uh, side of, of of enchantment, and they are not biding with divine enchantment. So then, if there is a divine enchantment then that belongs to the other side. The other side that's on this pole is the seraphimic side or the seraph. So then now we know just as uh, Satan could appear as an angel of light but was not an angel of light, but there was an angel of light, that the hash can appear as a divine enchanter, but it's really not a divine enchanter, but there really is a divine enchanter, which, which is represented by the seraphim. And so then we have this beautiful revelation and beautiful proof of this great Israelite uh, who belonged to a very, very ancient revelation. It says that right in uh, Chronicles chapter 4, verse uh, 22 area. And, uh, and that um, uh, his name was uh, Seraph. And we know that this word, when we look it up uh, by seraphim, is the same word uh, which is given under the, the strong concordance of 83.14 as the description of the of the what they changed by these um, uh, priests uh, by using you know these special markings. They changed it from being being the seraphim angels to being some kind of a snake. And we see that horrible mistake made it sound like Jesus was going to be lifted up uh, like a snake and 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 that that was also what uh, what had been prophesied uh, by um, uh, by Satan but that was not the story at all because that would not lifting up a snake would only glorify the snake that was biting the people but lifting up a snake with an angel with his foot on top uh, of the the snake's head taking dominance over the uh, over it uh, when even these animal snakes would would see that that the energy and the power would be so great that anything they had done uh, uh, would immediately be rescinded and the people bitten by that poison would be healed. And and you must know and believe and understand that that revelation which was so important, which was the second revelation that was given to Jesus said, I've told you earthly things, you couldn't believe it. But if I tell you heavenly things, this is a heavenly revelation, you know, how will you believe that? And so this was a heavenly revelation Ladies and gentlemen, this was a heavenly revelation. So when Jesus says, you know, you shall pick up serpents, and if they bite you, you shall not die. You shall not be poisoned. Are you hearing me? 
this is all part of that revelation because he is saying you will have this this revelation over the power of the whispers of Satan. You will have this power. When I send you out, you're going to have the power over demons. You're going to have the power over sickness. You're going to have the power to bring deliverance because you are going to understand the hiss, the hiss of Satan, which is part of the whisper of Satan. So <clears throat> we wanted to to bring that out and finish up that revelation, which was so absolutely important. Now, is there other scripture on this? Well, absolutely there is. There is, a, is an incredible scripture uh, in the book of Job 26, 56. And um, uh, it says, and, uh, and those uh, dwelling there, let's see, here it is. Um, uh, let me, let's just look this up so that we can get the uh, King James uh, on it first. Uh, and then I'll give you these other two translations because I think they are well worth having. Uh, this is truly a, a revelation. <coughs> and Job, of course, is known and considered to be one of the oldest books in the Bible. It, it is considered to be a very, very old book. No doubt about it. <coughs> okay. Now, in uh, Job 26, verse, verse 56, um, here is what it says. Dead things are formed from beneath the waters, and the inhabitants thereof. Hell, that's hell, is naked before him, and destruction hath no covering. Now, think in terms, please think in terms of Isaiah 14, because there is a connection. Uh, just please think in terms of that. Let me read it. Hell from beneath is moved to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It is raised up from their thrones, and all the kings of the nations. Now, hell is naked before him, and destruction hath no covering. He is able to penetrate into hell. It's naked before him. <coughs> it has no covering. <coughs> now, what does this mean? Dead things are formed from underneath the waters. Well, there have been two ancient translations since those translations were given um, in in the book of um, of Job, and one of them is uh, is um, Rephraim Ruth in agony beneath the waters, and those dwelling therein, their prison lies naked before him. And destruction has no covering. That's a fairly famous translation. But then there's also uh, James Moffat Bible, uh, which is a, a Bible that you know is well known. It was put out in 1922, and it says, "Before him, the primeval giants, with under the ocean in their prison, the underworld." lies open to his eyes. The uh, nether regions are unveiled. What is recognized here by both of these translations is waters, the ocean waters represent something different than just waters. It's like the 17th chapter that I quote to you quite often 
of the book of Revelations. When um, the angel was explaining to John the meaning, you know, because um, in the 15th verse, uh, he wanted to know, you know, what, what I saw this, this woman on this beast, and she was sitting on all these waters, and she, he wanted to know, what does that mean? And, and Revelation 17:15 said, And he saith unto me, meaning this angel, The waters which thou sawest, where the horse sitteth, are people. Now who would have other, if an angel had not revealed this, who would have ever thought that waters could represent people? Well, they do. And they're symbolic. And here's the Bible, and it says it. And this is an angel revealing it. Wow. Let's read this again. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou saw, where the horse sitteth, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So now, when we look at this, this verse about dead, dead things formed beneath the waters and the inhabitants thereof, we see that there is a whole world of people in this prison estate. And it's, it's an underground sort of... When we say underground, we don't really mean like under the earth and under the ground. Only as it's relative to people who have died and been buried, but not as it is relative to the actual station of where those, those uh, spirits are kept. And then when you see that other part about verse uh, 6, hell is naked before him, and destruction hath no covering. Wow. Wow. Well, in Moffat, he says on that part of it, he calls them the primeval giants under the ocean in the their their person of the uh, in their prison of the underworld, and um, that uh, that they are in these deep regions, unveiled. So here are people that were beginning to look into this word here in Job, and they were beginning to get a, a, a revelation of something quite different than what. Um, it had been translated because it was just so far out and so deep uh, the translators just couldn't get the grasp of it. But these other people begin to say, hey, you know, the words and, and the way this is really in here, is it incorporates all kinds of other meanings that is not being expressed by the translation. And so it's a perfect tie-in to this revelation that we have been teaching in the book of Isaiah, chapter 29, about Satan speaking out of the dust and all of this connection. Now, just to get the point of this thing, so, and I'm gonna call, I don't think I've gone over this with, with uh, the group on the uh, .org uh, radio, but I did, I did share it on another radio station. But let's just do it again regardless. In the book of Genesis, it talks about, And the waters brought forth living creatures, and every winged fowl after its kind. That's Genesis 1.21. So when people looked at that, they said, Well, the winged creatures, the fowl, 
their creation came forth from the waters. But then, later in the Scripture, when the Scripture is talking about something slightly different, people don't know what to think about that. Like, for instance, in Genesis 2.19. In Genesis 2.19 it says, And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air. Now, is this a contradiction? Is this an error? Is this a, a goof-up? Because it says here in chapter 2.19 that every fowl of the air, every fowl, every fowl was created out of the ground. But this other verse in Genesis, which came earlier, in Genesis 1.21 says that the winged fowl and after his kind and every winged fowl after his kind came forth from the waters. So let's read it again. And the waters brought forth living creatures. Well, we're going to call this dinosaurs. And we're going to refer this back to the teaching I did about, about the dinosaurs. Now, don't lose your place. But we're going to turn... Um, we're going to turn to Leviticus uh, chapter 11. And we're going to look at something. Hang and hold here. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 20. All fowls that creep going forth on all, all four shall be an abomination unto you. Yea, these may ye eat these may ye eat of every flying, creeping thing which goeth upon all four, which have legs upon their feet to keep wherewithal upon the earth. Even these of them ye may eat the locust after his kind, the bald locust after his kind, the beetle after his kind, and the grasshopper after his kind, and all other flying, creeping things which have four feet shall, shall be an abomination unto you and shall be unclean. Now we understand that certain insects that have wings and fly, even though they crawl on the earth and have four, four legs and feet, that they are also called fowls, F-O-W-L-S. Well, who would have thought when they were reading the scripture in Genesis that it was saying that the waters brought forth living creatures and every insect that could fly. Who would have thought that right way back there in chapter 1? And who would have thought that the waters could possibly be referring to entities? As I explained to you in chapter 17, verse 15 of Revelations. Nations, tongues, entity. In fact, in that particular revelation, the entity that was being represented there was, was the Queen of Babylon. And, and and the dark beast upon which she rode. And she was being called Waters. Waters was a symbol of her and the dark beast. So we have to be very careful when we start reading about waters and lightning and thunder and, and all these different symbolisms, mountains, as to what they may mean. 
and how they are used in the context can change the application of them. Because here we see what people would have thought was a contradiction, and some people might have lost their religion over this. Some people say, well, I just don't believe in the Bible. It's just, it's just full of lies and contradictions. They say, well, no, you can't show me. Oh, hell, yes, I can. Let me just show you here in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, 21 says, Foul after his kind came out of the waters. Genesis 2.19 says, Every foul there came out of the ground. That's a contradiction. Because it says every in both cases. So the Bible has to be false. And they say something like that because they don't really know the Bible. They don't really know the Word of God. They don't really understand that the word foul in the language of the Bible of that time, was used to also fly to these flying critters that were insects. Now, isn't it interesting, though, that in this chapter, because we know that on the that that the the, uh, the time that Satan began to to uh, use his power as uh, when taken over the morning star office of of, of Yaviel, and he began to use this power uh, as a covering angel, that he began to change the the broadcast of signals from Yaviel and the angels that were with him that were spiriting creation to those that were uh, had that he had moved to Drago from Arturus, and he began to change what they were signaling and he began to create the dinosaurs. And then in the teaching that I did, I talked about how that he also created these insects and he put in them, because there's the word about elongated, that that was a a, a DNA that has been reserved way, way back, hidden for coming up in a future a future uh, uh, revelation. And how interesting it is that in this chapter, uh, Genesis one twenty one, that the waters bring forth first the living creature, the dinosaurs, and the next thing is the winged fowl, which are the insects, which goes right along with the teaching that I did about the the insects and how that they have built in uh, this e- uh, this elongated DNA that can uh, and and it's into their genetics allow them to keep growing at some point until they become like a dinosaur. And interesting enough, I had someone send me this thing that came out on the the broadcast news several weeks after I preached that, showing about these these fossils that they found of giant insects. So, it's all interesting. It's all the Word of God. And the Word of God is true and is powerful. Now, turn with me to, let's get into some more of this symbolism. Turn with me to Revelation 16. Revelation 16. So beautiful, so important. Listen to what it says here. We're going to look at uh, verse 3. And the second angel poured out his veil uh, upon his his, uh, his veil upon the sea and it became as blood of of a dead man. And every living soul died in the sea. 
And the third angel poured out his uh, veil upon the water, the rivers and fountains of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, thou art and wast and shall be, because thou hast judged this. Now notice that the scripture brings back the revelation that was originally given to John by the angel, of which he said, when you write this book, when you when you do the prophecies in this book by the revelation, chapter 1, verse 19, it says, Write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, the things which shall be thereafter. So that which was, that which is, and that which was to come was the method that was to be used. We see that reiterated again in the 16th verse. And we've got things like rivers, we've got things like like fountains, we've got things like sea, and and there, there are meanings in all that. And we've got these entities involved in, in, in this death of a blood man. Well, let me propose to you something along the 60-hundred-fold interpretation. There are other interpretations in different folds. But let me propose to you that we have been teaching this revelation of what is called the Christ Transassimilation. And in the Christ Transassimilation, Jesus has said this incredible, uh, awesome, and complicated thing that caused him to lose most of his followers when he says, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part into the, into the kingdom, into the gospel kingdom, or into the kingdom of God. Then we, under, we translated that to the people so that they can understand that what Jesus was talking about, that, he, that the Bible says that except you acknowledge that Jesus came in the flesh, you are an antichrist. We have to understand Jesus did come in the flesh, and there is a transformation from the spirit realm to the flesh that had to happen by those who fell. They had to come and be bound in the chains of the, the molecular chains of this human body, of which it describes in, Joe, in uh, Jude. <coughs> and they're reserved in these until the day of judgment. And we have to understand that Jesus said, you know, if you quit thinking about your body, quit thinking about your flesh, and you concentrate on my life in the flesh, and on my blood, which is the life of my flesh, then you will be able to overcome. Because you will become baptized in my life. And you will be saved, not by the life you are living, but the life that I am living. You will be redeemed, not by the life you are living, but the life I am living. And by taking on His nature, not copying Him, not being a mock-up of Him, but by following the Spirit as He followed the Spirit of God, His Father. Didn't do anything except the Father told Him to do it. And when we do those kind of things with Jesus, we are, are trans-assimilating Christ in our bodies. Now then, once you open the door, <laughs> you open the door to the dark principle side. So then, instead of the Christ transassimilation, 
you have the satanic in assimilation. The satanic in assimilation. The satanic in assimilation is taken on the blood life of the of Satan and of the principalities of darkness. And there are people and there are so many scriptures to show it and so many evidences of it out there in the world, people that have actually taken on the dark principles and and the darkness of, of the whisper of Satan. And they are involved in this this taking on this blood, which is like the blood of a dead man. They are taking on this blood life like like Jesus said, if you don't eat, eat my flesh, drink my blood, Satan's saying the same thing. You know, I'm, I'm going to cause this thing to turn around and people are going to have to understand they have to take on my life. They have to, be, they have to try to assimilate the, the cosmocrator and be one with the cosmocrator. Take on his blood's, blood's life. Those things are so important. They're so absolutely important. We know that in Revelations eleven eighteen it talks about the time of the dead. And we understand, you know, that there is a time of the dead. And and that time of the dead has real consequences. And I I don't have the time to read from the MIV uh, the translation of that, which is quite beautiful. But there is something that is made in comparison about these parallel orders of the divine order and the orders of darkness. Uh, In Acts 10.42, it talks about the quick and the dead. This is mentioned again in 2 Timothy 4.1, mentioned again in 1 Peter 4.5, mentioned even before that, in Matthew 23, verses 31 through 32, in the sense that in that verse, Jesus said, God is not the God of the dead. So we've got a God of the dead, and we've got a God of the living. And we've got the quick, and we've got the dead. So we talk about the blood of a dead man, we're talking about that dark side. And we're talking about this division between those who are the quick and those who are the dead. And that's why, and one of the questions that I had was, you know, where where do people go? Uh, you know, what is the separation? Uh, what is the underlying reality, uh, you know, of, 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 of these things uh, that have to do, you know, with people um, when they go from this life to the next life? Yeah, that was one of the uh, the questions uh, that people were asking, you know, me to, uh, you know, to to get involved in and talk about, and uh, it, and it, and it, it's a fair question and an interesting question, and really has important, uh, you know, a revelation to it. Uh, now, when we we get into this thing about, uh, you know, the 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 three revelations. Uh, and we see that there are always balances. There are the three woes that we talked about a week or so ago, and then there are the three holies. These are these are opposite parallels. Uh, there are the differences of 
these these uh, different kinds of realities. And we even talked about how that even one atom can make a differentiation. It can even affect time and space and, and, and a person's own own life. Um, there is just uh, so much that, that can happen depending on what kind of uh, difference of entanglement that that makes by having that one extra atom. Uh, <clears throat> we know that Satan understands these parallels. Uh, he hastened to sit in the seat of God and then call it the seat of Satan. So there are just so many of these understandings that uh, it's absolutely essential for people to wake up uh, to, to these mysteries. We talked um, about how that the North, when we look it up in uh, Strong's Concordance 6828 and 6845, uh, the North can actually stand for the unknown, the mystery. Or 6845, it can stand for to hide in the secret place. Um, we recognize that um, when it talks about the legions were in one man, legions, like that's 10,000 angels, and they all possessed the same space as if it were even one angel in that man, that this thing that we talk about, co-owning, where many entities can can uh, uh, occupy the same space and even the same mental uh, grounds of thought, uh, that there are really, really sensationally important uh, realities that people have to confront, that if they don't confront them, uh, that uh, they will be in repute uh, of the truth. And uh, by being in, when they're in, in repute of the truth, you know, they're just walking down uh, a path that, you know, has no victory because it's, it's lost in the complications of their mind. They just, they just don't understand that there are deep things entrenched uh, in such a way that uh, unless you have the total revelation of it, uh, you are just facing uh, a serious loss of being able to have an understanding and being able to have an insight of what the real truth is. Now, uh, as to this question about, you know, well, what, what happens, uh, you know, uh, where where do we go after death? Uh, well, uh, <clears throat> I almost uh, hesitate to get into this subject. It's such a big subject, you know. But we talk about uh, the Father's house, chapter 14, of the of of the Gospel of Saint John, uh, and we've explained different times that there is this um, there's Ursa Minor, uh, which uh, in the Gospel of the Stars it talks about Ursa Minor as being uh, you know the little bear, and and we know that the little bear is talking about the little sheep because originally before it was called bear it was called sheep. And uh, we recognize that uh, there is an Ursa, Ursa Major, and uh, it's called the Big Bear. Well, we've got both then also in that, included in that, is the Little Dipper, which is, part, which is enfolded in the concept of the Little Sheepfold. And we've got the Big Dipper, which is enfolded in the concept of the Big Sheepfold. And these are two different locations. Uh, not 
uh, uh, Urja Major is is you know not that far from the constellation Bootes, uh, which is also many times imaged as being the coming one, Christ, or sometimes they tie it into Hercules, but it's still tied into this revelation of the coming one as being Christ. And that in that sense, <clears throat> there are things hidden that people do not know. They do not understand. The great bear and the little bear, uh, you know, uh, have enfolded in them uh, by by being named the way they were by the Greeks. Uh, so there is enfolded in them the word arkos. <clears throat> that is A-R-K-O-S. And bear, the term bear is preserved in the name Arturus and Arte. And and when you begin to get this deep revelation and the the octavo of his pages, uh, you know, in the rendition of 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 his super rank of of uh spiritual nobility, uh you begin to you begin to see something that just wants to make you stand and start dancing, stand and da- and, and shout. Because you, you begin to see that the gospel of the stars is is telling this whole story. This whole story that Bootes is connected to Arturus, uh, which is a star in the constellation uh, Bootes, a very bright star. Uh, but it is not the same thing as Arturus, which is the father's house in the Little Dipper, the Little Bear. But they are connected through this revelation of the word Arcos, which is also tied in to this great gospel ship of the skies uh, that travels between the stars. So you have the Urja Major and you have the Urja Minor. Now, if we were to take, you know, the 666, um, you know, number, and we were to um, uh, take the... uh, the 334 number, which would, by those two numbers being together, would make an even number of a thousand million, um, which would equal one billion. And we would be dealing with numbers that represented the 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 big bear, and and numbers that represent the little bear. In the divine proportionate of divine geology, we would have the major flock, 666, and we have in that 666 the name of the beast, which is the human body that we are all in, you know, encapsulated into. It, it's got the whole thing of what we are. It's the number of the atoms uh, as carbon. And they're all there. And I've done the teaching on it. Someone says, oh, I don't know about that. I know. We know you don't. That's why we're teaching you this right now. And so, if you take that thousand million, which equals a billion, which is involved with the great flock and the little flock, and you put it the one billion times the Christ ratio, which is the number of thousand, and I don't have the time to 
really break this all down, but one day I'll break it down again. And you take then the one to a thousand, and you take the thousand being the number of Christ, and you and you multiply uh, that of the one thousand billion, you end up with one trillion, which is the number of the angels that fell from heaven as Ophanim. So then we've got the major flock, which is the great flock, is under Abraham in the Abraham's bosom. And the minor flock, which is the little flock, is under Melchizedek. And Jesus, Melchizedek Christ, Melchizedek Jesus Christ, in the Father's house. So Ursa, Ursa Major, the Big Dipper, and Ursa, uh, which is the Big Bear, and, and the Big Flock, uh, compared to Ursa Minor, the Little Dipper, and the Little Flock, and the Little Bear, are all suddenly magnified in understanding when we begin to, under, to, to understand this. Now someone says, oh, well, those constellations you're talking about, why, they're huge numbers of light years away. Well, you know, when you really understand the creation and you really understand the power to shrink space, then distance has no factor. When, I, when Einstein said, you know, I think the fourth dimension should be time, that works out great as long as there is time. But in the words of, of the Bible of God, when it says, in one day time shall be no more, then if they want to call, whatever you have called the seventh dimension, at the moment that that experience happens, which time is no more, that dimension that you are calling time is also no more. Because you created it using, you know, a reasonable disposition of measurement, because from point A to point B is so so many uh, uh, so much of a distance of travel, and that distance represents a length, and that length represents a measurement, and so in that sense you've got dimension. But in the sense that time ceases to be, then in the same sense that dimension ceases to be. In the same sense that time or that dimension ceases to be, then there is a folding up of space. And when space folds up, by being able to move through uh, these dimensions as the manifest teaches, you are then able to not have to worry about how far away something is supposed to be. So he says, oh my God, you mean that they're going to be all the way over to Urja Major? Oh, my God. Uh, you are totally looking, not in the Spirit, but in the flesh at that. But when you look in the, in the Holy Spirit revelation of understanding, involution and convolution have a totally different understanding. So when we start talking about involution and convolution, even the second law of thermodynamics has no application. You know, in the second law of thermodynamics, it says all systems will tend toward the most, most mathematical uh, probable state and eventually become totally random and disorganized. But it also talks about that it will always 
transfer to energy that, that it cannot be destroyed. So when we begin to see all these different laws of anthropy, the, the increasing disorder, and conservation, the law of the conservation of mass, and we begin to understand them as one of these days, not too far from now, I'll be doing a teaching on the universe and all these different laws and how they apply. The story is quite different, just like that scripture that talks about the fowl. It's quite different. It is not the same thing at all. And then how we uh, we apply these terms like convolution. You know, there is what we've talked about as being um, uh, a higher state of goodness, which could be considered convolutional evil because it can be so overpowering that if that that if not even uh, dis, uh, and even destructible to a lower lower state of goodness. <clears throat> In other words, what could be a blessing to nobility that was in a higher order could be absolutely syntonic fire of destruction to a lower entity that was not in that same level of order. <clears throat> so even though something is very, very good, is convolutionally very, very good, that is true in its appreciation and application of understanding it in an order that is compatible to that to that convolutional good. Because that same convolutional good that is beautiful and perfect in a in a divine order is utterly destructive in an order that is not divine. So we have to understand these these uh, uh, these these uh, these things because if we don't understand them, we miss the boat. You know, <clears throat> there is a mind gate, and this this mind gate is totally meant to be understood from access. And I I use scriptures, you know, on. <clears throat> like Psalms 24-7. Um, I haven't looked at that for a while. Let's just look at Psalms 24-7 and uh, see what that tells us along those lines. Um, Psalms 24-7. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift up your everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come up shall come in. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Yeah, that, that that's beautiful. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. That really does tie in to this thing of mind gate. <clears throat> you know, in Matthew twenty one twenty eight Jesus says, What thank ye? And in Genesis eight twenty one, and I think that was mentioned in six five Genesis six five through seven it mentions the imaginations of man's heart is evil. Romans 2.15 talks about people's thoughts either accusing or excusing one another. 1 Corinthians, or first, uh, yeah, Corinthians 4.5 talks about God will bring to light 
the hidden things of darkness, and make manifest the counsels of the heart. There is so much to understand about the plan of God. The Bible says in Galatians 6, 3, If a man thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Bible talks in Jeremiah 13:10 about people walking in the imagination of their hearts. There are trajectories that people put out all the time. It has to do with recycling attitudes, imaginations, imaging, obsessions, deep desires for possessions. But the mind gate is real. It is it is a possibility of, of going into a a super wonderful place with God. <clears throat> I want to tell you that you people that read the blogs, like on .com, if you go to the blog page on .com, up at the top, uh, there is a new uh, button that has been added. And it's called Future Flash. You might... I put the first... Uh, article on on that called Future Flash, and it's about um, quantum computers. Just the beginning of a revelation there, and it gets into talking about um, uh, some new kinds of math, which is a little deep for some of you. I agree, agree, and and please understand and believe that all of the Future Flash uh, entities that end up going into that that column of revelation is not going to be that difficult to understand. But the big thing is, is it's talking about the ability of ion liberation in a closed atomic state. And this is very, very important to the Holy Manifest revelation of the age of ion. And so I'm trying to begin to get some thoughts out there for people so they can open up their minds into these things. One of the other things that it talks about in that article of the future flash, which remember, the front page, up by the button that says home, and right next to it, it says future flash, just cue onto it, and bam, you are there. And within the context of that, it is talking about, you know, collapsing the axiom constant. And for some of these things to happen about face being, space being folded up, time being no more, there is this import of these neutron ions being put into trans vibrations and moving into dipole exchanges. And when we start getting into Breaking the ion, the ionic bomb into the ionic bond into six phase split, based on a liberation of the spin states, is some heavy stuff. But it all has application, and in the end, people are going to understand that when Jesus walked on the water, he collapsed the axiom constant of gravity. When Jesus rose from the dead, 
he collapsed the axiom constant of death. When Jesus ascended up to heaven, he collapsed the axiom constant that should have forced him to remain. I'm going to be so excited to be able to get into these revelations about the creation of the universe. I believe it is the time to get into some of these new OM, OM laws that have been revealed through the Holy Manifest and to be able to show that there is no place that the divine voice of God's resonance has not been heard. That the kingdom of God is like a net. That the heavens declare the glory of God. And if the heavens are declaring the glory of God, then God, oh my God, is it not time for people to start hearing what the declarations of this glory is and what it is saying? We want to know what it is saying. And people are going to have to be open-minded. Because it's just like this revelation of Jesus when he said, I've told you earthly things. You can accept it. You can understand it. <clears throat> what are you going to do when I tell you spiritual things? Now, I have this pomegranate cluster revelation which we're asking for 20,000 people to sign up. And I, I begin to get people from all over. I got someone from Taiwan here the other day asking about explaining what this pomegranate means. And, you know, I've had, I've had others before that that have been, just been wanting to know. Well, if you look at Psalms 68... You've really got a lot of the revelation of it right here. Because it says in Psalms 68, verse 17, that the chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels among them, as in Sinai, the holy place. And what we have is a revelation of 20,000 Ziths, which people call UFOs and flying saucers, but we call them Ziths. And the word means fringe, or him. H-E-M, him. It's 20,000 chariots, and there are angels in every one of those chariots, which are the, the, the engines... That's how they're called in that, that language. They are the engines. Because a lot of these faster, best ziths are all turned on and off by the mind. So when we say we want 20,000 signatures, it's tied into this revelation of the 20,000 ziths, or as you might call them, UFOs. It's tied into the 20,000 angels, and these angels are not just any of the other angels. 
This is the only place in the entire Bible where the word angel is mentioned and translated in Strong's Concordance number 8136 in the pronunciation of Shinon or Shinon. I like to say Shinon because pronunciation-wise it can be said like that. It's the only place that that translation of angel uses that word. And it's particularly a reference, but it would take me hours to show you in the teachings, to the offspring at the Father's house, which we call the sons of Enoch or the Arturans or Arturus, or Arturians, just however you like to call it. So part of this revelation of the pomegranate cluster is about that incredible revelation. Now we know there are names like the Mahanaim, which in Strong's Concordance 4266 comes from the word Strong's Concordance 4268, and it means double camp, company, host, Cold traveler, accompaniment. There's an incredible revelation about that. I don't have time to get into it tonight. But I want you to know the Bible is full of these incredible terms. And we feel it's the time to get this 20,000 people. And we're going to be moving toward some plans that we feel God is moving us toward to expose this to enough people to where they're going to absolutely be be shocked. Now, what is the revelation? Well, the revelation is very interesting. When you get into the book of Enoch, or pardon me, not Enoch, but Ezekiel, you get into some very, very interesting things and it is so important for people to get this story it, it, it is so important for people to to just be caught up with it all and um, there is a scripture in the book of um in the book that that is exciting. We're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 1 and we're going to look at um, verse 15 and I behold I beheld the living creatures behold one wheel upon the earth by the living creatures with his four faces. Now when it says his four faces it doesn't mean it has four heads or four faces in the sense that a human face would have four faces. But it's talking about representing the four different kinds of mankind, or humankind, to be more correct. And um, and it talks about the appearance of their wheels. 
and their work was like the color of pearl, and they four had one likeness. Well, you know, all these kinds of revelation are very, very important. They're not, they're not just simplistically unimportant. They have absolutely deep revelation. When we get into the, the revelation about the foundations in Revelations 21, 19 through 20, we get into all the, the 12 different foundations of the city of Jerusalem. And it, and it gets into jasper, a dark green color, which um, has been known to be a stone of influence. And we get into sapphire, which is blue, and is like a pillar stone, and, and uh, chalcedony, which is white to pale blue, and it has a mine, it's called a mine stone, and emerald, which is a deep fiery reflection, like is mentioned in Revelations 4.3, and it's called a perfection stone, and um, sardonyx, which is called the passion stone, it's red, and sardius, which is a deep orange to brownish red, it's called the covenant stone, and, and uh, chrysolite, which is called the night stone, it's an olive green, and then we said, uh, mentioned this color here, beryl, which is the foundation number eight, and it's called the law stone, and it's olivine to aquamarine with gold, green, and blue. And then there's topaz, number nine, olive green, golden, stone of wisdom. And there is um, there's chrysophrasus, which is called a treasure stone, green with gold spots. And jacinth, which is gold. And it's called a power stone. And amethyst, which is purple. It's called a wine stone. And we know that when we go back to the Old Testament, there was the, there was the, 12 bre- the, the, the breastplate with 12 stones on it, which also had a pouch for the Urim and Thummim. And that we know that these foundation stones mean something a whole lot more than what people think. We'll come back to Ezekiel 1. But when we look in Ezekiel 28... And we're looking at this whole thing. And we're looking at Ezekiel 28, beginning with verse 12. It says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. We know by the context this is actually talking about, the word Tyrus means rock. And it's talking about not the rock of ages, but the opposite of the rock of ages. The power of the rock of of the force is dark. And you've been in Eden, the garden of God, ever precious stone was your covering. Stone is a covering. The sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, the gold, etc., etc. Verse 14, Thou art the anointed cherub. Cherub is an angel. That covereth, that covereth, the one that was the their guardian angels. And this one here was the one that was called Lucifer, who took the place of Christ while he was involved in spiriting creation. Thou art, thou art the, thou art the anointed 
cherub that was covered. He was anointed for that job. Verse 15, you were perfect in your ways, perfect as a cherubim. From the day that thou was created, perfect as a cherubim, till he got involved with being over the ophanims, and iniquity was found in him. But these, all these stones that I mentioned, take up a lamentation. Since ever precious stone, verse 13, was thy covering, Sardius, Topaz, so these stones were coming. We call this representing individuals who were co-owned. Each stone representing, you know, like thousands and thousands of entities co-owned with him, like with a legion of 10,000. Each stone. And each stone having different colors and each stone having different different meanings. And the Bible is so rich and so full of all the glory of this revelation. And people are just sitting back listening to and themselves sowing over and over again the same principles of which Paul said leaving the principles of the foundations of the doctrines of Christ. Those things we well do. <coughs> but let's go on to perfection. These foundation revelations are, are absolutely important. And when we are in Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel back to Ezekiel chapter 1, and we're hearing these incredible revelations, it is so absolutely awesome that we are opening our mind and, and that you are listening to this revelation and the seer uh, uh, prophet that God has made available through this vessel here, uh, not because of anything that this vessel was worth, or not because this vessel is better than anybody else, but just because it just happens to be the vessel that was anointed for this job. We have to recognize that. Now in verse 16 of chapter 1, Ezekiel, the appearance of the wheels and their work was like the color of burl, Wow, the color of burl. The law stone. They were involved in something to do with the law, the revelation to the people. Wow. And they forehead the likeness, their appearance and their work as a wheel in the middle of the wheel. And they went, and when they went, they went upon their four sides and they turned not. Now listen to this. As for their rings, R-I-N-G-S, they were so high that they were dreadful, or the other word for it would be awesome. Their rings were so high, they were awesome. And their rings were full of eyes around about them. Don't you think that you would want to be interested to know about these rings? And about these eyes? Well, that is nothing less than the revelation of the pomegranate. The pomegranate that was put around the garb of the priests. The way it was is that the as at the the hem area, the fringe area, there was a pomegranate and a bell. A pomegranate and a bell. A pomegranate and a bell. All the way around the circle of the garment at the fringe of that garment. And when you take the word in Ezekiel here, where it says their rings, 
if you do a little word research on that, do a little checking on that, it can mean it can mean rim. And that is how it's translated in some of the other Bibles. And rim ties into the rim of the bell, which is part of the ring of the bell of the pomegranate cluster revelation. And understanding what the pomegranate is with all the cluster of the fruit, how that it is all together, has a revelation about an incredible computer-like type of eyes that can see from the back, from the forward, can see that which was, can see that which is, and that which is to come. It's the Alpha Omega revelation of seer ministry. And when this woman, by accident or by purpose, touched the hem, which is the same thing as fringe, of the garment of Jesus Christ, she had had this terrible disease, and she was instantly healed by the power of the symbol of that fringe that Jesus wore. And all history says that's involved in the description of the garment he wore, that when he, for him to go into the synagogues and to minister as he did, he would have had to have worn these, this garment with the, the pomegranate and the, and the bells about the fringe. And when she grabbed hold of that, the bells would have rung. But Jesus would have also felt the power of that, of the vibrations of the energy that went out when she touched it. When she touched the bells and the pomegranate, which were all part of the eyes of the wheels of that of, of the seership of seeing that which was and that which is and that which is to come. So the rim and the hem and the fringe are all tied into the curve, are tied into the, the hollow of the curve, the vault, the arch, are tied into the eyes of the rims of the fringe of the spirit of the creature that was in the wheel. And rim can mean circuits and can mean to ring the bell and bells can mean rim and hem and fringe. And there are dozens and dozens of scriptures which I do not have the time here tonight to read. Perhaps in the continuum of this we can really get in to the revelation of this incredible and beautiful pomegranate cluster. Because the, the pomegranate cluster really is the revelation of the eyes. And the eyes are the revelation. Because people are seeing things, but they are seeing these, these things and describing them differently than what they really are. Just because a person might see what they call a UFO doesn't mean they have any understanding or any revelation or any insight as to what the origination of them are and what they really, really stand for. How many of these people 
would be thinking about the 20,000 of them that came and hovered over the mount while Moses was receiving the law. People are more interested in getting into the revelation of New Mexico and some crashed vehicle that is totally a convoluted, mixed-up situation that there's really no proof, no matter what anyone says. It's basically all rumor without actual proof. And people are trying to make the rumor to be proof. But in a court of law, there's no rumor that is proof. Wow. And so God is trying to wake up the genius of his people to show them that the revelation is there. The rings are so high, they're awesome. The rings are full of eyes around about. Verse 19, chapter 1, Ezekiel. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went by them. <clears throat> and when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. Wheresoever the spirit was to go, they went. And thither was their spirit to go, and the wheels were lifted up over against them, for the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. When those went, these went. When those stood, these stood. When those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up over against them, for the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. Wow. What a revelation. What an incredible thing. And this is all tied in to the revelation of the pomegranate cluster. And I've offered, when I get 20,000 people, which will equal the number of the ziths that hovered over the mount. I've offered when I get that, then I'll know that it's the time to reveal this new math and this new revelation. And I don't know how many people, there are some people that have worked at it, but there's a whole lot of people that have not. They've just said, oh, okay, well, you know, if you get them, you do, if you don't, you don't. And so, wheresoever the Spirit went, <laughs> wheresoever the wheels went, the Spirit went. Wheresoever the Spirit went, the wheels went. There's a connectedness there. There's a beautifulness there. God is trying to connect us with the Spirit realm. Trying to connect us with understanding how that we have to move. And why should this be so important to us? Well, because the Bible tells us in Ephesians 1.4, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy without blame and before him in love. We were chosen before the foundations of the world, ladies and gentlemen. We were chosen before we were in our mother's womb. Jeremiah 1, 5 through 12. Before I was formed, before I formed thee in, in the belly, I knew thee. I knew thee. Not that I had a, some kind of a, of a pre, 
suggested destiny for you. I knew thee. And before thou was, before thou comest, came out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord, behold, I cannot speak. I am a child. But the Lord said to me, Say not, I am a child. For thou shalt go to all that I send thee, and wheresoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Verse 8. Jeremiah 1, verse 8. I get a hold of this. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, saith the Lord. Now get on to this. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, and to throw down, to build, and to plant. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a game. If we are to believe this Word of God, believe this Bible, believe the Holy Spirit, God is telling us that by the Holy Spirit He can put in us the words that you speak that are so powerful they will change DNA. So powerful so powerful that they will break down the resistive forces. I, I just want you to hear this. I, I just want you to, to realize that you can have words that are so powerful they can collapse the axiom, axiom constant. Imagine words so powerful they can liberate the ions in a closed atomic state. They can imbue a photochemistry to chemistry. They can set up ion dipoles in exchange for whatever is prob problemizing the earth. Ladies and gentlemen, these things are incredible. And God is saying, Matthew twenty four twenty eight, what think ye? What are you thinking? What are what are you what are you thinking when you when you've read this pomegranate cluster? It's not just some fancified word. There's incredible amount of scripture for it. Incredible. Wow. And we're going to give you more scripture, Lord willing, next week, and go into it more. We begin to realize as we look into this word of God that we are not only predestined to be conformed to Christ's Christ image, we are not only predestined to be conformed to Christ's image, but we foreknew Christ before our predestined assignment. Romans 8.29 For whom he foreknew, he also, also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of the Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, kinsmen, redeemer. Truly, this is, this is so, for we must live the image of Christ's earthly sojourns as we have lived Christ's heavenly sojourns. 1 Corinthians 15.49, as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. 
There's all kinds of bodies out there. Celestial bodies, terrestrial bodies. And the glory of the celestial is one kind and the glory of the terrestrial is another. And people are getting confused. They're calling seraphims all kinds of other names. They've got them being serpents and snakes, reptilians, which is turning Christ into a, a snake on the cross. We have borne the image of the earthly, but we are going to again bear the image of the heavenly. Check out 1 Corinthians 15.49, as I said before. Wow. Wow. So God has given us tools. God has given us the power to spirit the creation with the words that God is speaking to us. We even have power to bring hope to the dead by the baptism of the dead mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15.29 We even have power to make a petition to God. And the Bible says that we can ask any petition. 1 John 5.15 And we know that He hears us. Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. If any man sees his brother sin to sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. What power you've been given over nations, over people and tongues for good, for something beautiful. You belong to the quick, not the dead. Now you need to start acting like what your destiny is, that you are involved in this. I want to have a little prayer here while the organ is playing softly. Most gracious, precious, and heavenly Father, we cannot say less. And time limits us to say more. But if we forget the rest of the world <coughs> and try to live in the singularity of our own world, exclusive of all other persons. Oh God, what is there to say for that kind of selfishness? We must reach out to the suffering in Somalia, to the starvation, to the people who are starving in other parts of other lands, to people in prisons who never deserve to go there, and even the prisons <coughs> full of people who have repented. At least they deserve to have a place 
<coughs> while there, that affords, affords human dignity. Blessed be the name of God. Reach out and touch the people tonight. Those of you out there listening that you've got problems in your body, hypothalamus to the pituitary, pituitary, hypothalamus to the thyroid, to the lymphatic gland, to the parasympathetic, sympathetic neurotransmission system, to the cerebellum, to the whole neural transmission network, through the corpus callosum, to all of the different hemispheres. I send message through the cells of your own body, by the vibration of your own bodies, to loosen within your body vibrations of healing and resonance and energies. Amen. God bless you and keep you, cause His face to shine on you. Amen.